start my timer here this morning. I didn't start my timer until like I was on the second point, um, but I'm going to start my timer now. So, uh, um, yeah, no, praise God. The Lord has been gracious in, in terms of that. But continuing our, our look in the church's anatomy, um, just an overview. Again, we keep going back to this. Oh, guess what? Do you notice something on number two under skeleton? Absolute authority and sufficiency. Shout out to Samita. Shout out to Ruth. Shout out to telepathically telling me Sador apparently just needed that credit. Like between the three of them, they got me right. So I'm going to shout out to Mattel as well uh, for pointing it out in the beginning. Um, but it took three weeks, four people. We finally got it up there on our handout. Um, but these are these are the, uh, the skeletons are the spiritual framework on which this church would stand on each any biblical church would stand if you take any of those things away the skeleton crumbles the framework is no longer healthy and it just comes crashing down that's why the high view of God and the primary reason and the primary focus of our life and our worship would be to glorify God under the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture teaching it in a sound way, the way that the Bible teaches itself, really, the Bible teaches itself. <laughs> like, it doesn't need a teacher to explain it in and of itself, but God is gracious to, and merciful. It's, he gives gifts. It's just a cherry on top that he would have someone standing behind the pulpit or behind a classroom and, and teaching it. Um, and, and we just have to be faithful to what the Bible teaches about itself, what the Bible teaches about God. Um, and that should lead us to live a life devoted to personal holiness, not compromising our standards of living according to the word, but conforming it into what we learned um, from Scripture to glorify God and, and being accountable under the spiritual authority that God dispenses and distributes to the local church. Um, that's the, the framework. And that framework then finds its vitality. It finds its life. It finds its movement, not necessarily its movement, because the movement comes from muscles, but what makes it alive, what gives it sense is those internal systems that we talked about, the unwavering desire and willingness to submit to the Word of God and to the Spirit of God in obedience and leading us to, to use our infinite value in Christ for not for our own selfish ambition, but for the service of other. That's what humility is, by the way. Humility is not just being timid and fake humble uh, or like hum doing a humble brag and underselling yourself, undervaluing yourself, but it's to use the infinite value that God has given us in Christ Jesus. Not for our own personal benefits, but for others and for God ultimately. And we do that by actively meeting the needs of others from a place of affection. That's the spiritual attitude of love. And as we do that, we're going to preserve the unity that we have with one another, right? It's, it's that oneness we have with God and oneness with one another. And we have to, empowers us to, to work together and you can kind of feel that. And then out of that, Service. We're willing to serve one another, and we are 
we will exercise that self-discipline. And in that exercise of self-discipline, the authenticity of our faith is revealed and we hold each other accountable by showing concern, not by poking our noses where it doesn't belong so that we can say, huh, you're like this, not to lord it over one another, but to actually show real, genuine concern and feeling responsibility for one another, like taking responsibility for one another um, and bearing each other's burdens. That's what accountability is. And we do that depending on God, on His Word uh, that is sufficient, and on His grace and His, and His Spirit. And as we do that, we, we grow together. We desire for growth, to look more and more and more and more like Christ. These are, by the way, attitudes that would that that would be felt, right? And and we do that in a long, that's what we saw, a long-term, consistent commitment. That's faithfulness. That's what we saw, right? A spiritual attitude of faithfulness last week. It's that long-term, consistent commitment to honoring Christ and serving His church and all that we do and all that we are with all that we have, um, and th- those things are, are are the spiritual attitudes that give life to the church. And then the framework, the internal systems, the spiritual a- attitudes then lead to the to the muscle, which we'll be looking at for the next several weeks, six to be exact, Lord willing, are the spiritual activities of the church which is preaching and teaching, prayer and worship. These are the different activities, um, discipleship and training, family care and counseling, fellowship and giving, and evangelism and mission. So these are like different areas of ministry, right? <laughs> like there's a preaching and teaching ministry. There's a prayer and worship ministry. By the way, worship there is is the music worship, but it also talks about having a worshipful life. We'll see that. But the discipleship and training ministry um, and the family care and and counseling ministry, that's the ministry of the Word of God, and then raising up families, right? Um, and, and supporting families in the way that God intends to have, and then that fellowship and giving, that coming together and doing life together, and actually having all things in common, like the, for the church and uh, and Jerusalem did in Acts chapter 2, verse 46, um, 42 to 47, really, the whole thing. And then not being so like bogged down with the things that we're doing between these four walls and what we're doing for one another, but with a heart for evangelism and taking the gospel to our neighbors and then even to the rest of the world, being obedient to God in that way. So those five, six uh, different ministries are the muscles. They're the spiritual activities. Um, think the way that I, that I, that I want to frame it is the framework is a skeleton. It's the underlying fundamental structure of the body. Right? You don't see the the like when you look at yourself in the mirror. When you look at me. You don't see the skeleton, right? But you know it's there. It's the underlying fundamental structure that keeps me upright, right? So that's, that's, that's what the, the skeleton is. It's the underlying fundamental structure that holds up the church. And the various spiritual attitudes are 
are the attitudes that bring vitality to the church that would be felt. So when someone comes in, like, what does love look like? You don't, it's not, it's not visible. You can feel it though, right? You can sense the unity. You can see, you can sense the, 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 the willingness to grow, the desire to grow, the, the willingness to serve. You can sense it. By the way, this was again confirmed. Kobe came and he was just like, he spent an hour, two hours with you guys. And like out of the 10, he mentioned about four, no, about seven of them that he sensed. He sensed that. Just spending two hours with you guys when we weren't here two weeks ago. I'm like, any like constructive criticism though, Kobe? Like, can you tell me? Like, what, what else? Just like, you know, most times I, I would have at least one thing to say. I mean, I, he couldn't find one. But he, what it, whatever he was describing, he sensed were, were the things that we talked about as, as having and an embracing as a, a, a spiritual attitudes among us. Those things are felt. They're not seen. Those things are felt, just like the underlying skeletal structure is, is not seen. But the muscles, however, are the visible parts. It's the visible elements of the church that actually moves the church from one place to another, right? That's what the muscle is. You know, we've got the biceps. Some of us have bigger biceps than others, you know. Um, so the muscles, you can see the muscles, and they're used to move. The, the, the body from one place to another. That's what these activities are for the church, these spiritual activities. The emphasis, again, being spiritual activities, activities driven by the Holy Spirit. Activities given by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. So these are not activities that I am working out in and of myself or you and I are together coming together and agreeing upon it and saying, okay, this is what we want to do. No, the Spirit of God has to do that among us. These are the activities that we see in the Bible, the first one being preaching and teaching. And the reason why this is the primary spiritual activity is that's the first thing people come to. Like, what... When you go to church, that's one of the first things that draws your attention. It, it, it grabs your attention. What is it? The preaching and the teaching of God's Word. And it actually determines how and where the church moves. It, it drives the church almost. Both the preaching and the teaching of the church really have significant implications to the health of the spiritual framework and the spiritual attitudes. Think about it. That's, this is why we go out and work out, right? Like if we build enough muscle, then our hearts can pump better and our cardiovascular health, our internal system of, 
like how our lungs work, how our, how our heart works, and how our kidneys function, all of those things, our results are affected by how well we work out our muscles. You know, and even like if our muscles are strong, then our joints and our, our skeleton is, is even stronger. Trust me, I know that. Right. <laughs> We've got joint problems all over the place. In the same way, the preaching and teaching of the church has significant implication on the spiritual framework of the church and the spiritual attitudes. If the teaching and preaching is healthy, then the skeletal health of the church is, is intact. The, the spiritual attitudes of the church is, is intact and, and safe and healthy. If not, both those things, or at least one of them, would be compromised. That's why the proclamation of the truth is so essential. The proclamation of the truth and the preaching of God's word is so essential that that's the way God reveals himself to us. He proclaims who he is throughout the entirety of the Bible. I mean, you open the Bible, the Bible is God preaching about himself. All of it. And teaching us how to follow and obey him. Like in a nutshell, that's, that's what it is. The whole Bible is God proclaiming Himself to us and teaching us about Himself, about our need of Him. Bringing that to the context of the church, uh, I, I want us to, to look at it. Um, by the way, the church, I had to look at this word, um, look up this word to see what it means. The church, as is defined in the Word of God, First Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, it's the pillar and the buttress of the truth. A buttress is just another word for an anchor. <laughs> you can think of it as an anchor. That's, that's not up there. But within that context, we're going to look at that, that verse together. But as the pillar and the anchor of the truth, the proclamation of the gospel is essential to it. Notice what, oh, it's right there. <laughs> but coming back to 1 Timothy verse, chapter 3, verse 16, look at what he says. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on this in the world, taken up in glory. Pop quiz time. Who is this text talking about? It's a really good um, Sunday school answer, right? <laughs> but this is by design. This is the right answer. It's also the Sunday school answer. You guys know about the Sunday school answer? Have I mentioned that? Sunday school teacher asked him, hey, Jimmy, what, what color is the, the sky? And he was just like, I know it's blue, but I think I'm supposed to say Jesus. Because every answer in Sunday school is supposed to be Jesus in Jimmy's mind. 
But this is our confession. We confess Jesus as Lord for our salvation. And this is what it says. If this is our confession, the confession is not just about the incarnation of Jesus, but it's also the proclamation of that truth among the nations. Our confession is not just limited to the internal conviction we have about Jesus. It's related to the proclamation of the truth of God. And the church's primary function, therefore, is to proclaim the gospel. We see this played out on the day that the, first, the, the church was inaugurated, on the day of the Pentecost. To set the scene, the, about 120 disciples were hiding somewhere, scared to... Uh, about what they're going to do and what's going to be, but knowing and trusting in the promises of God and the promises of Jesus, who, whom they saw ascend into heaven and told them that he was going to send them a helper. And he told them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes and they will have the power to go and witnesses. So they're in an upper room praying and the Holy Spirit comes on the day of the Pentecost. And then these guys start talking in all kinds of different languages that they didn't know they could speak. And people could hear the gospel in their native languages and they're coming to faith and they're like, these men are drunk. What are they talking about? Because they don't understand what they're saying. And Peter stands and does this on the day that the church was inaugurated. The proclamation or the preaching of the truth of God's word was at the center of it. And this is what we see in Acts chapter 2 verse 14. Look at what it says. But Peter, standing with the eleven, he lifted up his voice and addressed them. This is why when we proclaim, when, this is why the voice infliction thing that we were talking about with COVID. Right? <laughs> he lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. And then he goes on and tells them about Jesus and what they did to Jesus and how God raised them from the dead and how what's happening right there, where he begins by saying what's happening right there. I mean, he goes back to, to, um, to Old Testament, to Joel, brings them to the Gospels and then proclaims to them the resurrection. And he says, believe, repent, believe, baptize, you can get saved. That's the proclamation of the Gospel. And so he preaches the full counsel of God to them, in fact. That's at the, this is the start of the church. And its center piece of the start of the church is the preaching of God's truth. And Paul, later on, inspired by the Holy Spirit, penned this letter to a, a young disciple almost, uh, not almost, but his spiritual son who's pastoring a church, a local church, local body of Christ. And he gives him the intent of this letter explicitly. And this is, this is amazing, by the way, when you're studying the Word of God. Um, some some books have their purpose statement like why is this book written 
actually spelled out and that makes it so much easier to know and how to apply it and in what context to apply it so you don't have to dig too 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 deep you don't have to work too hard to do so so he writes this letter for this explicitly stated purpose that we find in first timothy chapter 3 verses 14 and 15 paul says this i hope to come to you soon but i am writing these things to you so that what kind of clause is, is that called Purpose clause, somebody somebody give him a gold star. Right? What does a purpose clause do? Now it gives you the purpose. There you go. I'm 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 just I'm I'm just setting you up, man. I'm just teeing you up. Right real nice. It's just tossing softballs. You can knock it out the park. It's really easy. It gives you the purpose. What's the purpose? What does he say the purpose is? So that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. Do you want to know how one should ought, uh, uh, how one ought to behave in the household of God? Here it is. I'm writing this whole letter to you so that you can have it. This is what Paul is saying. By the way, the household of God is nothing else but the church of the living God. So everything we read in this epistle hinges on this purpose statement. If you want to know how one ought to behave in the church, what is essential to the health and function of the church of God, He's already given his instructions in this book. Now, it's not the only place in the Bible that you find how you ought to, how to do this, how you ought to behave in the church. But this epistle gives us more specific. But whatever is found in here is bonding to life of the church universally. Across the globe, across the ages, it's, you can't negotiate it away. It's, it's not the Greek, it's not the culture, it's not the context. Whatever you find in there, it's, it's for the church. It's not just for that local church. It's the household of God. Who is, what is the household of God? It's the church. He doesn't say for the, the um, Ephesian church only. It's for the church of God a pillar and buttress of the truth. If we make this and everything that's in 1 Timothy, by the way, about that local body, because we don't like some parts of it, by the way, then our church that we're planting right now is not a pillar and buttress of the truth because it's only that church that it's applied to. You see, you see what I'm saying? Like, we can't pick and choose what fits in our culture and in context and all of, the, all of those things. This is a letter written for explicitly the purpose of knowing how one ought to be in the church. So he goes on. Having said this, 
Look at what Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Command and teach these things. I mean, there's obviously, you can read the, 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 the context. He gives them instruction and how, like, the, the older uh, women is su- supposed to disciple the younger women. You know, the older men are supposed to disciple the younger men. How the young men in the church are supposed to look up to the older, uh, to the older men and how they're not supposed to uh, curse them out and dishonor them and, but hold them with respect and regard. And these things, command and teach these things, though. That's what the context is. Paul is saying is proclaim the truth to compel obedience to, to, to the people so that the people can conform their lives to it. That's what that command is. It implies preaching. But also, there's teaching attached to it. That's why we're looking at preaching and teaching together. Because those two things work hand in hand. The preaching is that that proclamation of the truth that compels, that requires. There's an authoritative kind of, like even the, 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 the voice is raised and, and, you know, like this is the truth. Come, listen, pay attention, do this. That's the preaching. But you also are to give instruction by providing information. Concerning the truth, that's the teaching. You're just providing information and giving instruction and in how to actually come to obedience, how that, what that obedience looks like. And as if it's not enough, Paul adds in verse 13 of that same chapter, chapter 4, he tells Timothy, until I come. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Knowing this is about the church, the biblical church, the church that seeks to honor God in its obedience to Him, is one who takes seriously and pays attention to that's what devotion is. You take it seriously and you pay attention to follow it in the, in the way you... Not just in the reading of Scripture publicly, but to earnestly appealing and encouraging those who would hear it to obey it and conform their conducts and their behavior to it. That's what the preaching does. That's what exhortation is. That's what preaching is this is why when especially in the, in the in the mornings like we begin by publicly reading scripture when we gather together if you if you've noticed we publicly read the scripture and we call everybody's attention to worship god by reading his word publicly and then we sing the word And then we pray the word. And then we, again, devote ourselves to the public reading and our scripture reading time. Even the structure, the activity of the church is designed that way. And because the Bible 
commands us to do so. So we do the scripture reading. That's a, a, another public reading of scripture. And then we pray again over that. And then we read another public reading of Scripture because, I mean, that's the authoritative and sufficient Word of God. That's how God has revealed Himself to us. And then we proclaim it. And then we preach it. And then we we give sense to it. And then we earnestly appeal and encourage Conform your lives to what the Scripture says. Conform your conduct and your behavior according to Scripture. That's the preaching. But you do this by instruction. You do this by providing theoretical and practical knowledge and how to do so. That's what teaching is, by teaching sound doctrine. Doctrine just means teaching, by the way. I, I think we, talk, we talked about this. You know what doctrine is? Doctrine is not like some sophisticated theological thing that you've got to like go to seminary for. It just means teaching. What do you teach? When somebody says, what's your doctrine? They're saying, what do you teach? What theoretical and practical knowledge about the Bible do you communicate with those who would come to your church? Is it biblical or is it informed and guided by the world? Or is it mixed between the two? Are you getting a hybrid kind of thing? It compels us, God's word compels us to devote ourselves to the scripture. So we need to have God's word in our minds so that our hearts and our conscience and our behavior will be conformed to it. If we don't have it in our minds and our hearts and our conscience, then how, how else is our behavior going to follow? If you want to be godly, if you want to act according to the righteous will of God, we first need to have God's word in our minds, love it with our hearts and with our affection, have its convictions so deeply rooted in our conscience, and then behavior comes next. Therefore, preaching and teaching is the primary spiritual activity that will deliver to our minds and to our hearts and to our conscience this truth. How else are you going to receive that? What, what other means can deliver that kind of message to your mind and to your heart and to your conscience if it's not proclaimed, if it's not preached? In fact, let's go to together... Uh, Romans chapter 10. I feel like I have a little bit of time to, to go on a field trip. It's not a tangent. 
but it's uh, it's an uh, we want, I want to explore deeper and and hit hit this starting in verse 14 actually we let's start verse 13 for everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved amen everyone who calls on the name of the lord will be saved now follow Paul's train of thought here. How then will they call on him in whom whom they have not believed? So if you don't believe, you can't call on the, the name of the Lord. Therefore, if you don't believe, you won't be saved. You're following, right? You're tracking? And how are they to believe in him of him they have never heard? If people don't hear about the one who saves by faith, How are they going to believe in him? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? I'm glad I'm doing the preaching and not you, because this quietness was not preaching. Right? So without preaching, so to kind of reverse engineer this, without preaching, people will not hear the gospel and will not come to faith in Christ and they will not be saved. That's the, that's the point that, that Paul is, is making. Verse 15, And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the evangelion, the gospel. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So, what's the conclusion? Faith, verse 17, comes from hearing, hearing through the word of Christ as it is being proclaimed is what, what, where we get it to. So, preaching and teaching is the primary means, the primary spiritual activity God has ordained to deliver to our minds and to our hearts the truth regarding Himself, the truth regarding His Son, Jesus Christ, that brings salvation to all men, including us. No matter the season, this is God's prescription. This is God's prescription, no matter the season. Listen to what Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, chapter four, verse two, or you can look up here with with me. I think it's up there as well. Listen to what Paul says to Timothy: Preach the word. Another epistle, another letter. We can argue: Is it the same kind of purpose statement? Does it still have the same purpose statement because this is written for something else? Regardless, what does he command him to do? Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. So what does Paul say? Preach the word. When? Should you preach the word? Every time, in any season. 
whether people like it, whether people don't. This was said, I actually, uh, you look at the context, it's like, in the last days, people are actually going to put teachers and preachers that, that would tickle their ears, and they would, that's going to tell them, hey, you know, God loves you no matter what. God loves you. The f- fast acting um, Tylenol. At one side has like the red side and the and, and the blue side, and but the medicine is inside. This is this is what it, I don't know. I'm kind of my mind is weird. Bear with me. There's the preaching side, which brings conviction. You're like, oh no, I'm ah man. He just he, ah God is convicting me about this. But how do I get there? The teaching part patiently with complete patience, patience, coming alongside, giving that instruction to bring about that desired effect of coming to be conformed into the image of God, into the image of Christ, rather.
sort of preaching and teaching ministry of our church, now talking about the remnant. Is that visible expression, that visible activity that brings the Word of God to the forefront of our minds? The visible spiritual activity that brings the Bible that's in our name, right? Remnant Bible Church. So the preaching and the, the preaching and the teaching ministry of this church brings the Bible to the Remnant Bible Church, brings it to the forefront. We want to be a biblical church. That's on our website. How do we do that? By proclaiming the truth that the Bible reveals about Jesus Christ and by living that out. So when people come to the Remnant Bible Church, they need to hear the Bible being preached and and taught. And that's why we have that last thing on your handout that says we, Remnant Bible Church, are committed to develop and emphasize the faithful preaching and teaching of the full counsel of God to edify the saints and to reach the lost. We're not just going to preach and teach so that we can be reaching and, um, preaching and teaching buffs inside, but even with the view to the outside. We want to preach the gospel to the lost. And as the lost are coming to, to faith in Christ and are being added to us, we want to teach them and prepare them for a life in eternity. And then repeat that cycle by pursuing more lost people by the preaching and teaching the gospel. Those are the three Ps, by the way, of our church. We want to preserve the gospel. We want to prepare the saints for eternity. And we want to pursue our neighbors with the love of Christ. Preserve, prepare, pursue. Repeat, prepare, preserve. I'm, I'm sorry, preserve, prepare, pursue. And then we do that cycle. That's our confession. That's what I wanted us to discuss about today. Um, I'll open it up for questions and and discussion at this point and what we talked about.